is our story, but it's a story of redemption. And, 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 it, and you will see throughout, even from the beginning to the very end, God's heart is for people. That God loves people. His heart is for relationship with us. And you will see that the, the, the Bible is a sweeping story of redemption. And it's no different as we look at the Bible today. We're going to be working through the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is a very interesting book. In some ways, it, it seems almost out of place. It's right in the middle of some major historical books of Israel. You have Joshua, you know, the new leader taking the people in the promised land. That whole book of Joshua is how they took the land. You have the book of Judges that we looked at last week, and God you know, has mercy on the people. The people were disobedient. They did not know God. They didn't fear God, and they would go into captivity, and, uh, and, that, and, and they would cry out to God. God would raise up judges to rescue them. Then they would kind of go in that cycle as we looked at that last week. And then after Ruth, you have the beginning of, of Samuel with the prophet. Samuel comes, you know, and, and we're going to be looking at some of the kings later on. But these, right in the middle of these historical books, you have the book of Ruth. And it somewhat seems misplaced, but how many knows that God doesn't do anything by accident? God isn't random. He's very purposeful in the things that he does. Interesting that this week is the week, the first week of Advent, the, the Advent theme today. If you're tracking along, some people read the Advent themes, and that's awesome. Today, the, the, the theme of Advent is, is hope. And we're not doing the, the, the wreath this year, lighting the candles, and, but uh, you would be lighting the candle of hope is because when you think of Advent, Advent means, means coming or arrival. It's the anticipation that Jesus is coming back. And we celebrate the whole theme of Christmas because in the Old Testament they saw the promise and there was prophecies about his coming and they had this sense of anticipation that he was going to come. They didn't know when, but they had an anticipation of his coming and we celebrate his first coming, but it also reminds us that he's coming again. And we live with great hope and we live with anticipation for his coming because he said he would come again. But because Jesus came the first time, we can have great hope. That even like the book of Ruth where it can seem misplaced or it seems random, God is not random in your life. God is in control. He loves you. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And because of Christ, we can have hope. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our past, we can have hope because of Jesus. And so the book of Ruth reveals the gospel once again, this Old Testament book that's tucked in in the middle of these historical books. It is there and we will see the gospel come alive once again in the book of Ruth. And as we move into Ruth, I want to take a look at some, of the, at, at some of what I'm talking about in the lineage of Christ where we actually find a little bit of the story of Ruth. But to give you hope, to give you encouragement based on what, whatever you've gone through, your circumstances, your past, I want to look at the book of Matthew because the opening verses tell us a little bit of the family history of Jesus and the lineage of Jesus. And so when we look at Ruth in a few minutes, we're going to see the gospel unfold. But first, let's look at the first portion of scripture. We're going to go through Matthew 1, 1 through 6. And there's a reason why I'm doing this, but in the opening verses, we're told of the history of Jesus. Most people skip right past this thinking that 
Maybe it's meaningless. You know, sometimes you come across these names or these lists of names. I'm always encouraged by that. Not that I sit there and read all the begats or all the lineages, but we're encouraged there because every person is important. Every person is important. But if you see this unfold, you may recognize some names, but some names you may not. But let's look at this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah from Matthew 1. Let's look at this. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Of course, we talked about Abraham and the promise, God's covenant promise. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. So here we see even the story unfold a little bit. Major players, major people in Scripture. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. But let's just stop right there before we move on to the next slide because it'll have the... So in there you have Abraham, Isaac, we're all familiar with that. Isaac and Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah. Let's just pause right there. We're familiar with the other people, but let's look at, take a little closer. We find the story of Judah and Tamar. Some of you are familiar with the story, some of you are not. This story is very scandalous. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah's son Ur, he died leaving Tamar a widow. Judah was supposed to provide her with another son as her husband, but that failed for a number of reasons. You can look at that in Genesis 38. So she disguised herself as a prostitute. She seduced Judah to sleep with her, and then she gets pregnant and has twins. Those twins' names in the lineage of Jesus, Perez and Zerah. Isn't that interesting? That's not a part of your family history that you would like people to know. You know, we brag on those people that, you know, the people that made it. So, you know, yeah, yeah, my uncle, he was a lawyer. And we don't mention those family members, right? It's like, aren't you related to someone? I, I don't know. I'm not sure if we're related or not. You know, that stain in the family, that, you know, that, 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 that person that no one wants to talk about. Well, that's, we have that here in the lineage of Jesus. We have this scandalous story and it's there for a reason to encourage us. Because even Jesus, looking back, had those relatives. So it gets a little more interesting. Let's go to the next slide. Did we miss the, did I? Okay, yeah, back, 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 back one, back one. Thanks. Sorry about that. So Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Again, stay with me. Salmon, the father of Boaz, who we're going to talk about today, whose mother was who? Rahab. Does that sound familiar? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. We know that Jesus, one of his names is the son of David because he is in the direct line of King David. But here again, we don't just have Judah and Tamar and that scandalous story. We also have another interesting story here. We have the story of Rahab. Rahab was the person in Jericho who helped the spies escape, but it's more than that. She was a prostitute. Another questionable family member in Jesus' lineage, the prostitute Rahab. Isn't that interesting that we're told of these people that had 
past, they had brokenness, and yet through that brokenness, there was still hope. There was still God working in the midst of it. And so Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, the, Jesse, the father of King David. And even as we look at Ruth's story, you will also see scandal, a hint of scandal in her own life because of her background, of because of who she was as a Moabite. But now she is the great-grandmother of King David, and you see that she is tied to Jesus. And so why is her story so important? And it shows us, again, that Jesus' lineage has some pretty flawed people, broken people, people with a past, and that should give us hope today. Because no matter what we came in here with today, no matter your past, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter the dysfunction, God sees you and he can redeem you. Because this story of Ruth is a great story of redemption. It's a story that God reveals his love to a people in a very important time in Israel's history. But once again, because we have this story tucked in that it seems out of place God purposely put it there to show us the gospel in the Old Testament come to life. And it's a story that points us to God's love. So let's go ahead and go into the book of Ruth. It starts off in a town, here's interestingly enough, of Bethlehem. So we can go to that passage. This is Ruth 1, 1 through 3. It's the same time period as the judges, as you see in here, in the days when the judges ruled. So last week when we looked at the judges, this is a story that happens within the context of the time frame of the judges. And so it starts in a place of Bethlehem, the same place that Jesus would be born. And so Ruth 1, 1 through 3, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And we understand if you read in context that famine happened because of what we looked at the cycle last week. Remember, the people would be disobedient. They would f push God away. They would take control of their own lives. We, we are in control. We have autonomy of our lives. We don't want God. We don't want his power. We don't want his authority in our lives. We'll, we'll do it from here. We'll be our own God. And so they would live that life, and they would go into severe times of captivity, famine, and then they would cry out to God, God would send a judge. And so there is a famine in the land right now as we see in the book of Judges. So a man from Bethlehem, as we continue to read, and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now that's going to be interesting of why they went there. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Of Judah, And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. So if you're looking at context of what's going on, this was a very, very hard time for Israel. It's a time of despair. It's the cycle of captivity. But Ruth is a story of hope in the midst of this awful time. So it tells us that this man, Elimelech, from Bethlehem of Judah, together with his wife, and they went into the country of Moab to live for a time. Now I want you to catch the weight of this. The fact that they went to Moab is what makes this story kind of scandalous. Moab is a group of people that descended from Lot. Remember Abraham's nephew Lot, if you are tracking along and reading 
Lot was the nephew of Abraham, traveled with him to Canaan. Lot, Lot wasn't the most upright of men. He was living near Sodom, and God was going to destroy it, if you remember that story. Abraham prayed. Abraham came to rescue to get Lot out of there. We know that God says, don't look back when he's going to rain fire from heaven. He's going to destroy the city. He said, don't look back. Well, what do we have Lot's wife doing? She looks back, and because of judgment, it says she becomes a pillar of salt, which is a very interesting thing to me. I don't know if there's any symbolism there, but she dies. And so Lot has two daughters. Their husbands are destroyed because they don't leave, they don't flee. And we see that Lot's daughters are fearful that Lot's not going to have heirs. And so in one of the most scandalous stories of the Old Testament, they get him intoxicated, they have physical relationship with him, and I'm trying to keep this PG as I'm talking, and they have sons. One of Lot's daughters, her son's name is Moab. And this was a, an awful thing. This was considered a curse, and they, they were a cursed people. And so this boy that grew up named Moab, he is the father of what was called the Moabites. That's from Genesis 19. You can take a look at that on your own time. So Moab was not a, prestig, a prestigious place. It was made up of descendants of Lot. Lot wasn't this great man among men. It was a land of broken, destitute people. They worship pagan gods. Their king practiced child sacrifice. I mean, you had to be very desperate. That gives you an idea. And the reason why I'm giving you the context is you need to understand they're fleeing Bethlehem to go to Moab. That gives you an idea of the, the, the state of affairs that was happening in Israel and Bethlehem. The famine had to be pretty bad. That's like it getting so bad here that we load up a plane and fly to North Korea for a while. I mean, to give you a little bit of understanding what's going on, Moab is an awful place. And so they get there, and we have Naomi, Elimelech's wife. She's there with her two boys. He dies. Elimelech passes away. Her sons get married to Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. After about 10 years, the sons die. We don't have any idea why that happened. And so Naomi has lost the very closest people to her. And so she's got two daughters-in-law with no heir. They did not have kids. This would be a tragic story today, but it was especially heartbreaking when, at that time, to have no one to carry your husband's name. No heir. And so this would put a shame on widowhood that was very painful and a stigma that was over widows. And so what does Naomi decide? She has really nothing left. She's got these two daughters-in-law and she is in pain. I mean, her husband has died, 10 years goes by, her boys die. And so she decides, I'm going back to Bethlehem. That would make sense because it's like, what, do I, what, what, what else do I have here? I mean, that's where maybe some family, you know, members, maybe some relatives live and somewhat of her support system. Let's go back to Bethlehem. But so she has this encounter, and, and I'm just kind of giving you an overview. I'm not reading all these scriptures, but she has this encounter with Orpah and Ruth, and she gives them permission, and there's this emotional 
meeting where she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. You two just stay here among your people. Stay here. It's an emotional scene. And so you have Orpah in tears. She goes away from Naomi and she stays in Moab. But Ruth is just emphatic that she says, I am going to go with you. I mean, to the point where she is grabbing around, almost like you can see her grabbing around her legs, weeping and saying, I don't want you to leave without, I want to be with you. And so you have her response to Naomi. And I want to take a look at that because this is a part of pointing us to where we're going into this gospel message in Ruth 1, 16 through 17. This is Ruth's response to Naomi. And she says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will say, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is a dedicated woman to her mother-in-law. And so right here in this passage, and maybe you've seen this passage used before. It's been used in weddings, but I think it's probably a little bit misplaced. But you have a glimpse of the heart of Christianity in this moment in Ruth's response to Naomi, because you have total surrender. I want you to look at the contrast here between Orpah and Ruth, because the contrast is subtle. Orpah is, she is grieving too. She doesn't want to be separated from Naomi. She loves her deeply. She has this emotional response. She's in tears and doesn't really want to leave, but then, but then Naomi says, you should go, and then so she disconnects and she leaves her. She had an affection for Naomi, but she wasn't willing to lay down her life and stay with her. What was Ruth? Ruth was all in. This is somewhat Ruth taking up her cross. I will leave everything. I will leave what I know. I will leave the comfort of my own people. I will, and I will go with you. No matter where you go, I will, I will go. She was all in. And so you have to ask, what did they see in Naomi? They, they saw a woman who endured much but kept her faith. And that's why Ruth says, your God will be my God. Whoever your God is, I've seen you lose your husband. I've seen you lose your boys. And I've seen you stay close to God. And whoever your God is, that's the God I want. And so she goes all in. Total surrender. Whatever you have is real. And so then you have to ask the question about Orpah, what was the deal? Why didn't she go? Because if we look at her heart, it's a little bit convicting because, you know, sometimes we can have this emotional response. And we can say, you know, maybe in hard times, Jesus, I'll follow you. Even like the cycle of the judges and the time of the judges, the people would cry out to God when things got bad. But then when things got okay, it was, God, I don't need you anymore. And is, does that describe our relationship? We, we maybe say, Jesus, I need you for what you can do for me, but... I don't want you just for who you are. And so we see this glimpse of total surrender and what it means to be a total surrendered follower of Jesus in the midst of this story. Because you can see even later, if we fast forward, remember when Jesus would say to the disciples, come follow me. And what it, it says they left everything and they came and followed him. 
The fishermen dropped their nets. They left their life as they knew it, and they said, we're all in. Wherever you're going, we're going. And so Ruth has this response and says, I am all in. She left her life and followed. So she goes back with Naomi to Bethlehem. When they get there, the people see her, and, and, and this is not up on the board, but Ruth 1, 19 through 21, is the people see, there, see her and they say, can this be Naomi? And so what is Naomi's part? She doesn't try to hide and doesn't try to just put on a happy face and pretend that everything is, is okay. I love her honesty here. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. So don't call me Naomi. From now on, call me Mara, which means bitter, because she said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, is what she says. The Lord has afflicted me. And so she went from being pleasant to being bitter. And again, I love that she doesn't try to cover her disappointment. She's having a hard time, and she's being very honest and very transparent before God. And again, I think that we can miss that opportunity as the church to be very honest and to be very transparent. And sometimes we just put on the pretend mask and, 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 and really no one's fooled by that. But to say, this is a very difficult time I'm in. And Naomi didn't try to hide that. She said, this is very hard. This is very difficult. But because of Jesus, we can have hope because the story doesn't end there. So they arrive back in Bethlehem during the grain harvest, and Naomi tells Ruth to go glean in the fields of her relative by the name of Boaz. God is setting all of this up. Nothing is by accident. So God made a provision in the law that the poor people could follow the harvesters and pick up what they leave behind. So here's Ruth from a foreign land, from a land of destitution, from a land of brokenness. She comes, Naomi, uh, uh, yeah, Naomi says, go and work in the field of Boaz. He's a relative of mine and go glean from the fields. And so she goes and begins to pick up some of what was left behind because they had to leave a certain amount in the field for that purpose to help the poor. So it's interesting that Ruth goes about and she's picking up and I love this first indication that a love story is starting to blossom here because Boaz, he's got all these people that work in the field, you know, he's, he's doing pretty well and he looks and he goes, um, who's that? He notices her. Out of all the people that are gleaning, out of all that, he said, who's, who's that? Whose servant girl is that? And they tell that that is Ruth. She is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. So he begins to notice her, and a love story develops. And so thankfully, Boaz was a relative because a relative had the right to not only purchase Naomi's land, but to marry any widow associated with that land. And so, to drop back, to clarify, Naomi's sons were the true owners in the sense. They inherited the land but then their, when their father died, but then they died, and so women couldn't own property. The land defaulted back to Naomi as she waited for a male heir or a relative to purchase it. So since the sons were the owners, Ruth came with the package. Whoever bought the land got Ruth. 
So if Boaz was not a relative, he would have lost the chance to marry her. And so, in fact, if you look at the story, he almost lost the chance because there was a relative that was closer in the family than he was, but that relative passed on the opportunity. And so when relatives purchased the land and they married the widows, they were called redeemers, kinsmen redeemers. And they are basically, and if you look at this story, they are a picture of the love of God. Kinsmen redeemers. So Boaz goes out of his way to love her, this widow from Moab. Now again, Moab the land of broken, destitute people. And this man who basically had everything he needed in life, he had need of nothing, and he sees her, and he is drawn to her. And so that's why Ruth is so overwhelmed with his love for her. In fact, she says this, and again, this is not up on your screen, but just hear her. She said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? You've given me comfort and you've spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. In other words, she said, there are other servants that have higher standing than me. I am a foreigner, not just any foreigner. I'm from Moab. I'm from a land of destitution and brokenness. My people, there's a, a curse and there's a, just, a, 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 just a stigma that hangs over the people of Moab. Why are you so kind to me? Because he has noticed her, and again, I'm kind of fast-forwarding into the story, but he notices her. They start developing somewhat of a relationship, and one time Naomi tells her to go, and if you look at the story, this is important to know, because you can read this and go, why did they do this? One time Naomi says, go to him, and after they have brought in the harvest, they will have feasting, and he will go into his chamber at night. He will lay down, and again, they didn't, when the lights were out, it was very dark, and, and uh, Naomi tells Ruth, go into his room and take basically the end of his blanket, and cover yourself with the blanket. And you think, why in the world would they do this? Because he wakes up and he said, hey, who's down there? It'd be a little freaky waking up and there's somebody at the foot of your blanket and they're underneath. And she said, it's Ruth, your servant Ruth, I'm here. And he understands what she is doing by doing this because he said, wow, you, you, you could have gone after the young men of this land but yet you came after me. He was an older man. But what was she saying? Laying at his feet, covering. She was saying, I want your covering. I want your authority. I'm basically surrendering my life over to you. In a way, she was kind of proposing to him. But basically saying, I'm making myself available for your covering, your protection, and your authority. I'm surrendering my life to you. And so they end up getting married, and you see the lineage unfold. So how does this story reveal the gospel? First first of all, we're going to go, it teaches us how Jesus is our redeemer. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. Jesus goes out of his way to love and accept us, although we are a broken and destitute people. We are filled with sin. There is darkness in us. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus loves us even still. Now I want to look at, as we look at Jesus, look at some of the laws of the redeemers of that day and see 
if you don't uh, see if we don't see the gospel come out of this story. So let's go to the next one. Some laws of the redeemer. Interesting facts of the laws of the redeemer. Number one is the redeemer had to be the nearest of kin. And Jesus is our nearest of kin through his incarnation, through this whole thing that we celebrate Christmas of why he came born of a woman. This is why he didn't just get thrown to the earth by God. He had to be born of a woman and through his incarnation, we become children of God when we belong to Christ. Look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We are adopted children of God. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We are the nearest of kin to Jesus through the incarnation. He is our redeemer. Second, the redeemer had to be able and have the power to redeem. In other words, they had to have the means to redeem. They had to have the means to redeem. Look at 1 Peter, what it says about Jesus. For you know that it was not with imperishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That is how valuable we are to Jesus. He did not redeem us through gold and silver. He redeemed us by his own very blood. And you notice what it says here. It says this empty life that was handed down to us from our ancestors, there is brokenness in our lives. We have those relatives, don't we? If some of us track back and we can look at the past of our sins of our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, we can look at stains, we can look at sins, and you know what? We're not exempt because we have our own issues and we have our own sinfulness. And Peter even explains, he said, it was handed down to you for this sinful thing that's handed down from, from Adam when he sinned. It has just been in the DNA of every human being since the very beginning. It's been handed down. But we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Because of that, he has the authority and the means to redeem Sacrifice was precious and it bought our redemption. Don't lose the power of that. And because he was sinless, he had the authority to purchase us. That's why he lived a sinless life. If he would have sinned, he would have lost the authority to redeem us. But that's why in Hebrews it says that we have this high priest that was like us, yet without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. And our salvation was costly, and he paid the price for that salvation. And so he had the authority by not sinning. Next is the Redeemer had to be willing to redeem. That makes sense, right? Boaz did not have to redeem her. So the Redeemer has to be willing. We get that in the story. Remember, Boaz understands that there is, a, there is another man who is a nearer relative, and he goes out into the marketplace, you remember, and he does the exchange, and he says to him, hey, would you like to redeem this land? The son's died, you know, uh, the son's died and 
the, the, the father died and this is Naomi's land. And the guy said, first says, sure, I'll do it. And then I love Boaz. He comes kind of around. He said, well, you're going to get Ruth the Moabitess. He made sure he said that. You're going to get the broken girl too. Because Boaz was thinking, I want the broken girl. I love her. You're going to get Ruth too because you have to. And the guy goes, well, then in that case, I can't. You redeem it. And so Boaz, you know, he gets the elders of the town and makes sure you guys understand the agreement. I not only get the land, the land is okay, but I want Ruth. So the redeemer had to be willing to redeem. They weren't obligated. So Jesus, you need to understand, it was not only willing, but he did it out of love for us. Jesus wanted the broken girl. Guys, don't get weirded out by that, please. We're the bride of Christ. It's a positional thing. It's not a gender thing. But Jesus saw us in a brokenness, and he didn't just say, well, I have to. He was willing. He wanted to because of out of his great love for us. Listen to what it says in Galatians. Paul says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gave himself. That's the gospel. The Redeemer had to be willing. Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you and me. And then in John 10, I love this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life, but I give it freely. It's his willingness to give his life for us the willing Redeemer. And then lastly, the last law of the Redeemer, the Redeemer had to owe no debts of his own. The Redeemer had to be free and clear of his own debts. Does that sound like Jesus? This is another reason why Jesus lived a sinless life. He was able to be our Redeemer because he had no sin. He didn't owe a debt to anyone, but he As the Bible says, it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that he became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He owed no debts of sin, but yet he stood in our place. The the punishment that we so deserved, he took upon himself. And so you have Boaz who really has need of nothing. He's a wealthy man. And he lays out his life basically and takes the full risk of this for her. He could have just lived the rest of his days and been fine and, you know, and, 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 and lived well and, and lived fortunate without Ruth, but he takes because he loved her. And he owed no debts so he could redeem her. Jesus owes no debts, but he rechooses to redeem us that we might become the righteousness of God. So the first way we see the gospel unfold in in this story is that it teaches us how Jesus is our redeemer. The next one is the story of Ruth also teaches us that we are saved by faith. That we are saved by faith. It was not Ruth's pedigree that saved her. Boaz didn't see her and say, well, you know, she's come from good stock. She's 
a God-fearing woman that was raised in a God-fearing home and she lives in Israel and she's got all the right credentials and her daddy did this and her mom did this and they were powerful, wonderful, and all in her lineage is just wonderful, awesome people. It was not her pedigree that he looked at and said, I want to redeem this woman. It was out, straight up out of great love for her. She was a pagan from Moab. The land of brokenness, hurt, pain, and destitution. That was what was over that land. But what did she do? She simply opened her heart to God. She surrendered her will and her life to God. And then he redeems her life and her story. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is up there. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, you cannot save yourself. Good works will not save you, being moral will not save you, being somewhat religious and going through religious motions will not save you. Salvation is a gift of God and it is received by faith and it's an amazing gift. Jesus, through his love, purchased our salvation. He purchased our redemption by his life. He already has paid the price. As our redeemer, he has already made himself available, saying, I will redeem them. Here is my blood to prove it. I have paid the high price. I have given my life, I redeemed them, not with silver and gold, but the precious blood that I was shed on Calvary, on the cross for them. It's been done. I'm willing. I'm able. I have the authority. I want to redeem them. But then it comes to us, and we have to have a response to that. Because another thing about the Redeemer, he couldn't make her be redeemed. If Ruth would have said, and just crossed her arms and said, I don't want to be redeemed. I, don't, I want to do my own thing, and I don't, I don't want your life on me. She could have done that. So he fulfills all the laws of the Redeemer, but then basically says, now it's your move. And we have Ruth's heart before even when she is going with Naomi. Remember, she says to Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. I will die where you die. I am all in. I have nothing else. I am pushing the old life behind and I am following you. And this is what she does with Boaz. I'm all in. I'm all yours. I give my life over to you. My life is not my own anymore. I'm not in control. You are. And so what is our response to the redemption of Jesus? It has to be this response. It cannot be Orpah's response. It can't be, well, I'm really glad that Jesus died. I'm, I'm happy about that. And it kind of almost touches me emotionally sometimes. And it's really cool and really neat that he did it. But I kind of really want to be in control of my own life. But I kind of think Jesus is cool. That's not total surrender. 
Remember what Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross daily. You have to lay your life down. It's not your life anymore. It'll be the greatest thing you do, but it'll be the hardest thing you do. He says, I want all of you. I don't want your fond affection. I want your total devotion. Because when we give our lives to him, it's like Ruth and, and this story of Ruth is this beautiful story of redemption that he takes this woman of the Moabite people, gives her a hope, he gives her a future, and even in the lineage of Jesus, we see this woman, the great-grandmother of King David, who would be in a line of kings to pointing to the greatest king of all, Jesus. And so when we go all in and we say, Jesus, I I give you all I am. Where you go, I will go. I will live for you no matter what. He redeems our story. He forgives us. He frees us. He redeems us. He loves us. And it's because of his love that he does it. And so through this story, through the lineage of Ruth, we get Jesus. And through our story, Others can get Jesus through our lives when we lay our lives down. We give him full and complete surrender of all that we are. Let's pray. Can you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you that in this story we have great hope. Lord, at a, in a time in Israel's history where there was so much pain, there was physical famine, so there was starvation. Lord, the circumstances were very difficult, and right in the middle of all that pain, God, you give us this story, the story of this woman who gave her life to your purposes. And we see this man that comes and redeems her and loves her and takes her as his very own Not because of how good she is, but because of how good he was. And so, Jesus, we see you. You love us. You've saved us. You've redeemed us. Not because we're good. It's because you are good. And I pray, God, that each one of us, Lord, wherever we're at on our journey with you, wherever we're at in our walk with you, Lord, whether we've been with you and walking with you many years, or, Lord, maybe there are people here today that are really struggling in their faith and wondering what's really even true, that they would hear your voice to them that you love them. They won't get that from anything else in this world, that you love them, that you redeem them, that you can redeem their lives, you can take the brokenness, and you can give them hope and a future. Because you are good, and it's all because you love us. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that we have in you. And I pray, God, that during this season where we celebrate Advent and we anticipate your coming, God, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day.